Good morning. Um, it is a pleasure for me to be here with you today and to share God's Word. Uh, but before I do so, I just want to send a very heartfelt thank you to Hickson Presbyterian Church for your many years of support, prayers on behalf of our missionaries, on behalf of our denomination. Thank you for being so faithful uh, in your prayers and in your support and your enthusiasm to see the gospel go forth to all the nations. Our passage today is a very familiar passage. It comes from Matthew chapter 28. We'll be reading verses 16 through 20. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. This is God's very own word. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's word. Pray with me, please. Father, we pray that your spirit would lead our time now and that you would fill us that we might understand your words. Help me by the same spirit to communicate your message today. In Jesus' name, amen. So as mentioned before, our family had the privilege of serving in Cambodia. Did you know that Cambodia has a king? Yes, indeed, it is the kingdom of Cambodia. But the truth is, um, the people don't really respect the current king very much. They've respected his father a lot because he led the country to independence from France in 1953. But his son, the current king, spent most of his life as a ballet dancer in Italy. So needless to say, he's simply a figurehead in the country. Some of you may know this, but Thailand is right next to Cambodia, and in fact, the most respected king in all of Southeast Asia was the king of Thailand, the former king of Thailand. Some of you might remember there was a time in the past where there was a lot of civil unrest in Thailand, and the government was receiving a lot of demonstrations and people rioting on the streets. But it only took the king of Thailand to stand up before his subjects and to say to them, stop your demonstrations and behave as Thai ought to behave. <laughs> and at that, the people dropped their signs, picked up their things, and went home. Do you realize, beloved, we also have a king? His name is Jesus. Now, what do you think people say about us who belong to his kingdom? Do they say, well, his people, they don't really respect him very much? Or do they say, at his word, at his command, they will drop everything and follow him in obedience? Our message today is very simple. It is to hear again these final words of our king 
before he ascended into heaven. And it's these words that are to renew our passion for his mission. It is to shape our perspective of his mission. And it is to give each and every one of us a renewed sense of purpose as we live as citizens of his kingdom. I think the first thing the Lord is telling us this morning is that we all don't really deserve to be a part of this kingdom-building work. Can you imagine what must have been going on in the minds of Jesus' disciples when they heard the words of Mary Magdalene that early Sunday morning? Jesus is alive. Jesus is risen. He's no longer dead. And he wants to meet us in Galilee. You see, just three days earlier, they saw their Savior on the cross, his body limp, crucified. How could it be that he is now alive? If you remember the disciples, where were they? They were in Jerusalem. Where's Galilee? Galilee is probably about 60 to 75 miles from where they were. And so they had to travel together, probably three or four days. Can you imagine what they must have been talking about as they traveled together to meet their Lord? Perhaps their minds flash back to the last time they were all gathered together in the Garden of Gethsemane. Perhaps echoing in their ears were the words of the Lord. So you, you can't even keep watch with me for one hour? And when the angry mobs came with, with clubs and swords and spears to take their Lord away, every single one of his disciples, his brothers, they abandoned him. They fled when he needed them most. Certainly Peter must have remembered how Jesus turned and looked at him in the courtyard of the high priest after the rooster crowed. And so I can imagine these disciples walking to the place where they would meet Jesus filled with conflicting emotions. Not only wonder and awe that, that maybe Jesus is really alive, but also fear, maybe shame and guilt that they might have to face the one that they abandoned and denied. When I was about 10 years old, my brother, who's just about a year older than I, and uh, a neighborhood friend were playing at a nearby park when we were attacked by these neighborhood bullies. At the time, they were pretty far off from where we were, and they started yelling at us and uh, calling us names. and. Being rascally boys that we were, we yelled back and probably said things we shouldn't have said to them and not expecting what would happen next. They started chasing after us. And so we had our bicycles right there and so we all hopped on our bikes and we just pedaled as fast as we could back to home, back to where it's safe, about two blocks away. And I remember hearing all this screaming and my heart was pounding and I was screaming myself. And I get back to our front lawn. And I stop, and, and, and my friend comes next to me, and we turn, and we look back about a block away as my brother. The chain fell off his bike. And all the screaming we heard was him screaming for us to come back and help. But honestly, I was so busy pedaling, I did not hear it clearly. 
And sure enough, those bullies came up to him and they, they hit him a couple times, took some cheap shots at him, and they took off. And there he was, humiliated, crying, weeping, angry. He picked up his bike, he walked that bike over to where we were. We were standing there, we were dumbfounded, we couldn't believe what had happened. And he comes up to me, he throws down his bike, and he slugs me in the stomach, and he says, where were you? Didn't you hear me cry for help? I felt so bad after that incident. Well, soon after that, we asked our dad to teach us Taekwondo. It only lasted a couple weeks. You see, we should expect Jesus to come and meet his disciples in Galilee and slug them in the stomach, right? And say, where were you when I needed you most? It's what they deserved. But he doesn't, does he? He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't reject them. In fact, when he meets Mary Magdalene after the resurrection, he says, go and tell my brothers to meet me in Galilee. He still calls him his brothers, even Peter. And when he does meet them on the mountain, he doesn't mention any of their failures, any of their sins. Not even the fact that when some were standing before him, they doubted him. And so what you see here in our passage is a picture of God's incredible mercy and grace. What they deserved was to be abandoned. What they deserved was to be denied before the Father What they deserved was to be excluded from the kingdom. But instead of rebuke, he he forgives them. Instead of rebuke, he enlists them into his kingdom service. And he says, complete what I began. You see, this familiar passage is a picture of God's amazing grace. And we ask ourselves, who are these disciples? Well, they're us. We're just like them. Oftentimes hesitant, doubtful, sometimes still full of shame, full of guilt. Now, I don't know about you, but when someone that I have offended that I actually respect overlooks my sins and shows me mercy and shows me grace, I can't help but love and respect that person even more. And when he demonstrates to me that my relationship with him is so secure and that there are no strings attached for his love for me, I can't help but reciprocate love and affection for him. What he wants is what I, his desires become my desires. And when I am convinced that I don't have to pretend to be something that I'm not in front of him, that he sees me for who I am with all my failures and all my sins and still loves me, I can't help but be passionate for what he is passionate for. Where does passion for missions come from? It comes from a deep passion for our Lord, our Savior, our King. You see, this isn't guilt trip motivation for missions. I think we've all heard many types of sermons like that. But this is what springs from a sincere sense of gratitude and respect, love and admiration for our Savior. 
And so the more that we dwell upon God's amazing grace for us, the more fuel that we add to mission's fire in our hearts. And so, yes, we don't deserve to be a part of this great kingdom-building work, and yet he calls us by his grace. The second thing I believe the Lord is telling us this morning is we don't have to be afraid to engage in this kingdom-building work. Why? It is because the one who sends us has been given all authority, both in heaven and on earth. But my fear, if I'm quite honest with you, is we don't really believe this. We really don't believe that he has authority and that we go and that we send and that we support with his authority. You see, oftentimes when we think about missions, we fall into one of two extremes. And the first is approaching missions in utter fear and trembling. We might think, I'm, I'm not equipped. I'm not ready uh, to go and to share my faith, uh, to think about discipling someone, or for God forbid, to pray about whether God is calling me overseas. Even for those of us who are called to support and send, we are often hesitant to give beyond what is comfortable because, because we're afraid. Do we believe that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth? And do we believe that we send, and that we support, and that we go with his authority? Now, what would be the other extreme? as we think about missions. Well, the other extreme is being overly confident in our own authority. Some of us may think because we are educated, because we are wealthy, because we are from the West, that somehow the world has to listen to us. We think all authority has been given to us. And that we go and do missions in our own strength and confidence. Um, when we first landed in the Philippines, that was where our mission's journey started, I had uh, the privilege of visiting the Presbyterian Theological Seminary in Cavite, Metro Manila. And the truth is, I was so excited about the possibility of teaching there. I thought about all the years of training that I had, all my preparations, and it was for these students, it was for this time. Well, the first students that I met were, were really quite friendly. And um, they introduced themselves to me, and then one of them turned to me and asked, so uh, what year in school are you here? <laughs> they thought I was a student. Inwardly, I was so offended, thinking, don't you know who I am? But of course, they didn't. And, you know, as missionaries, you're supposed to be humble. So I didn't say anything. I said, well, you know, I, I'm not really a student here. And then another turned to me and said, so are you going to apply? <laughs> We need to ask ourselves some hard questions. What kind of authority are we basing our confidence upon? Is it worldly authority? Is it our education, our money, our power? Or do we believe that Jesus has all authority, both in heaven and on earth, and that we send and that we support and that we go with his authority? The truth is it is only by the authority of Christ given to us by his spirit that we can do anything of lasting value for his kingdom. 
You know that promise at the end of the Great Commission? Behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. I think we often misunderstand that to think somehow Jesus is hovering over us as we go about his work. I don't think that's what it's saying. I think what it's referring to is his Holy Spirit indwelling us. Jesus' presence is with us through his Spirit, equipping us, empowering us to this task that he has called us to. Do you believe this? You see, when we believe this, it should give us both humility and confidence at the same time. It should give us who are hesitant and doubtful confidence knowing that Christ is calling us to a task that just cannot fail and is equipping us with a power that has no bounds. At the same time, it should give us gospel humility, knowing it is not our power, it's not our wit, not our connections, not our strength, nothing about us, about us by which his kingdom advances. This is the perspective he wants us to have as we think about this great commission. So the Lord is telling us that we don't deserve to participate in his kingdom-building work, and yet he still commissions us. He tells us we cannot do this work by our own power or authority, but we can by his. And finally, the Lord is telling us that every one of us who calls himself or herself a disciple of Jesus needs to be involved in his kingdom-building work. We are all to be involved in making disciples. Now, what are those two main tasks that Jesus associates with making disciples? The first, baptism. The second, teaching. Teaching others to obey everything that Jesus commands. Why baptism? Baptism signifies one's entrance into the community of Jesus' disciples. It, It requires this radical commitment that says, today I die and I now live for the Lord and his people. I've received the Holy Spirit. It is a declaration, a radical declaration that I'm a follower of Jesus. Teaching, why teaching? Teaching is the means that Jesus uses to grow and mature his disciples as those who belong to the kingdom. And so not only are we to lead people to this radical commitment, but we are to nurture them in faith by teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commands. Here's the truth. We cannot make disciples unless we are disciples. So let me ask you, have you made that radical commitment to following Jesus? Are you committed to a lifetime of growing in the gospel of grace? You see, part of teaching others to obey everything that Jesus commands is this command to what? Go and make disciples. And so part and parcel of being a disciple is then to go and make disciples, every one of us. Some may be saying, I'm not ready for this. Isn't it the pastor's job to baptize and teach? Yes, it is, of course. God has his ordained servants. And yet we cannot get away from this fact that if you are a disciple of Jesus, we are to obey this command and participate, whether in sending, supporting, or going to the nations. Four pastors go to a restaurant and um, they are seated and they wait for their 
waitress. She takes so long to come, and when she finally does, she takes the menus, throws them down on the table, and says, what do you want? They've been, they're so offended, they can't believe how rude she, In fact, the whole evening meal is ruined because she is so rude to them. When they finally finish eating, um, pay the bill, the most senior pastor calls the waitress over. He wants to have a word with her. She comes and looks at, at him, and he looks at her right in the eye, and he says to her, it seems that you've had a hard day. Here, take this as a gift, and he hands her a $100 bill. She is so floored by this act of grace, and she knows how she's at, she just starts crying. She starts, she starts pouring out her heart about all the problems of her life, and the pastor right there shares the gospel with her, and she believes, and she receives Jesus. Out in the parking lot, that most senior pastor takes his three other colleagues, and he turns to them, and he says, and now I want each of you to give me $25. You see, every one of us can be involved in making disciples. Some leading people to this radical commitment and others to give their $25. But what are these teachings of Jesus? Well, they're gospel teachings, are they not? So we don't have to teach our disciples that they have to have these perfect Christian lives. Discipleship is simply showing someone else how to apply the gospel to all the areas of our lives. And when the center of discipleship is Jesus and the gospel, the focus is more on him and less on us, we don't have to pretend to be something we're not. We teach disciples that we're just as messed up, broken, sinful, and in need of this truth. And at the end of the day, we are simply beggars showing other beggars where to find food. Now, we can certainly be involved in making disciples here. Nations are coming to the United States. But the Lord is still calling his church to go, to go to other nations, to other places, in order to fulfill God's redemptive plan for the world. Jesus, risen from the grave, Exalted to the highest place, our reigning king calls us to carry forth his message of the kingdom to the ends of the earth. This is not an option. This is not something we do if we have extra time. It is part and partial of being a disciple of Jesus. Beloved, do we respect our king? Our king has delivered us from the bondage of sin and death. Our king has set us free. And so let us respect our king. And may his vision for the nations be our vision as well. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we want to honor you. We want to show our gratitude for your amazing grace. Give us the wisdom individually and collectively in terms of how we might do this, how we might be engaged and involved in making disciples. Empower us by your spirit. Encourage us by your grace. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.